Welcome. It's good to have you with us this morning. Merry Christmas to you and to your family. Thank you for being with us on this Lord's Day to celebrate his birthday, not just his birthday, but his coming into this world. And I, I love an old, old hymn, an old carol that says, the light has come and the darkness will never be the same again. Hallelujah. And that's what it means for Jesus. Oh, there he goes. Sorry, he wasn't on again. So that's what it means for Jesus to come. It means the darkness will never be the same. And our heart's desire is that any darkness that may be in your life this morning in any way would be dispelled by the entrance in the presence of Jesus Christ, who's alive, who comes to live within us. And so we want to welcome you. I'm a little bit ashamed, actually, to have to admit that uh, before the service began, early this morning when the staff was here, they all placed bets on how many would show up. But uh, I, am, I am glad to be able to announce that I won the bet. Uh, I had the highest number, and uh, we didn't actually bet anything, but it's just nice to know some of us have more faith than others. So we're just so glad to have you with us this morning, and we know the Lord's going to bless you today. Well, let's just turn to the Word for a few moments. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read in just a moment from Matthew chapter 1, a few verses uh, that focus a little more on what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, Pastor Kristen asked this morning when we first began if anybody had traditions, and I know that a number of our families have different traditions when it comes to gift giving. Uh, some people really love Christmas time because they, they get to spend all this time looking for that perfect gift for that special person, and that's something that they really enjoy doing as a family. Other people kind of give up on that. They're not as good as buying gifts as we share kind of last night and uh, so what they do is they exchange gift lists which is a good idea too because that way you're not going to disappoint you don't have to run the risk of of buying something a person can't use and of course uh, for those of us who are kind of challenged a bit in gift giving there's always the gift card which you know kind of a natural default so that's that's good to have too I actually know of one older couple who every Christmas what they do is they just write a check to their children and their grandchildren, and they tell them to all go out and find something nice for themselves and then wrap it up. And then when you come to your grandparents' house on Christmas, open it up and look surprised. <laughs> That's one of their traditions. Now, I don't, I don't know if, if one tradition is necessarily better than another, but gift-giving can certainly get out of hand, can it? I have a picture for you here. I got it in a bit reverse order, so I'll see if Ben can bring it up. But there's a lady, you may have heard her story. Her name is Emma Tapping. Emma Tapping actually bought 300 gifts for her family. Now, she has a husband and three children. So there were 45 gifts for her husband, and there were 85 gifts for each of her children. Now, some of you, maybe your house looked like this on Christmas morning. Um, but in any case, she saved up her money all year because... Christmas is such a special time for her. But you know, the fact is, despite what Emma did, and as wonderful as that may be, it doesn't compare to the cost of that first Christmas. And that's really what I want to focus on for a few minutes this morning. I want to talk about the cost of Christmas. And I want to look at a story that I know really has probably become a little bit too familiar to a lot of us. But as I mentioned, I want to read a few scriptures from Matthew chapter 1, and I like to read this uh, story responsibly, which means that I will just read the scripture on the first slide from verse 18, and when the next slide comes up, why don't you join in and read with me, and we'll go back and forth. Uh, there's only about eight verses here from Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Let's read together. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. 
because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Together, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, Mary and Joseph, at this point of the story, they were getting ready for their wedding. And if any of us have ever had the privilege of seeing one of our children get married, we know all the preparations that go into that special day, all the anticipation, and even more so for the bride. Because, I hope this is a generalization, but many times young ladies are kind of dreaming about their wedding day ever since they're little girls. They're thinking about that day. They're thinking about the man they're going to marry. They're just thinking about just how beautiful and wonderful that day is going to be, even from a young age. They go through all the bridal magazines. You ever see those? I mean, they're everywhere. There's just stacks and stacks of these bridal magazines. You ever notice that there's no such magazine called Modern Groom? You ever notice that? That's because the groom is kind of like a bathroom at the theater. You know, it's necessary, but nobody goes there to see it. And, and that's kind of what a groom is. But for a young lady like Mary, when she was a young girl, she was looking forward to this day all of her life, her wedding day. And when she met Joseph, the man of her dreams, she anticipated it even more. And yet when we read this story, we discover that on this particular day, she's visited by an angel of the Lord who tells her she is going to become pregnant out of wedlock. Now, please understand this, because I know that the, the social mores have changed in our culture today, but the, in the days of Jesus, they would be probably pretty much like you see in the Middle East today, even in some of the more radical Islamic states. That's kind of how strict things were. That's how a young woman was viewed if she was pregnant out of wedlock. And so she knew that her punishment was going to be death by stoning in the culture in which she lived. So try to imagine that. But I want you to notice what, she, what, uh, what, she, what happens when she first hears this news. The Bible tells us the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was what? Greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Notice, Mary wasn't just surprised. She was greatly troubled. And I wonder why. I wonder because she heard these words, Mary, highly favored of God, the Lord is with you. Now, you might think those sound like encouraging words. Who wouldn't love to hear those words? But you see, Mary knew her Bible. She knew the Old Testament stories. And she knew full well when God appeared and said these words to somebody, it was just before he was going to turn the world upside down. You see, she would have known the story of Gideon. Gideon lived in a time when their enemy, the, uh, the Midianites, they would ride into the land every harvest season and take all the crops and the livestock. They would just pillage the land. And so in the time of, of, uh, of Gideon, the Bible says he was actually in a wine press, 
not making wine, but threshing what little bit of wheat he had left to get a little bit of bread for his family and to be hidden and keep it away from the enemy. And it's in that place that an angel of the Lord appears to him and he says, Hello, Gideon, mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. Same words, you see. And what did God ask Gideon to do? To actually go to war against the Midianite, an army of tens upon tens of thousands with only 300 soldiers. These were the same words that God would have spoken to Abraham who received that same message and he was asked to leave his comfortable life where he lived and his family and his wealth and to go somewhere that he hadn't heard of and that God hadn't told him about yet. All he was told was, the Lord is with you. It's the same message that Moses heard as a shepherd in the back desert when he was living a quiet life with his family. And the Lord speaks to him through the bush and he says, I want you to leave this comfortable life that you're enjoying and I want you to go and confront the greatest civilization and military on the planet and I want you to demand that they let my people go and then when they do, I want you to lead three million people across the desert. So I think if we know the scriptures as Mary would, we can really relate to how when she heard that phrase, she was greatly troubled. Because she knew that God didn't say that to somebody unless they needed to be reassured because God was going to ask them to do something that seemed impossible. And that's what he's asking of Mary. But notice her response. In Luke chapter 1, we read these words. And Mary said, Behold, the bondservant of the Lord. Will you read this last line? May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, there are a couple of words that, that Mary could have used when she described herself as a servant of the Lord. In the Greek language, she could have used the word diakonos, which means an indentured servant. An indentured servant was simply somebody who voluntarily gave themselves to serve somebody else for a limited period of time until the debt was paid off. She could have said, okay, I will be your diakonos. I will, I will kind of do the first part, but then when I'm done doing that, I want to get on with my life. We do that sometimes, don't we? The Lord asks something of us, and our attitude is kind of, okay, Lord, I'll do this now, but I want to get back to what I want to do. She doesn't use that word. Mary uses the word doulos, which is actually meant to be a servant for life. It is somebody who fully understands that me saying yes to what you're asking me to do means my life is going to change 180 degrees. It's going to be completely different than what I thought, than what I planned out. It's going to be radically turned upside down. And yet, that's what she says. This is going to change my life, but I will do it. And so when asked to do an impossible thing to pay such a high price, Mary says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. So that first Christmas was a great cost to Mary. But Joseph paid a huge price as well. The Bible tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a man who loved the word of God, who walked in the word of God. Joseph was a kind of Jewish boy who you would not find working on the Sabbath to make a little extra money. You wouldn't find Joseph out in the back of the workshop when nobody's looking having a ham sandwich. That's not the kind of guy Joseph was. Joseph, being a righteous man, was the kind of man who went through great lengths to live his life in such a way that he knew that God could smile upon him. He wanted God to be able to bless his life. 
So imagine that kind of man discovering that his fiancée is pregnant and he knows he is not the father. Now I wonder how Joseph found out. It wasn't through the rumor mill which says to me in all likelihood Mary was the one who had to have this difficult conversation. Now I wanted you to take this kind of story out of lore in the sense of you know how we've come to kind of picture this, this sanitized, beautiful Christmas story and I want to put it in the context of real life and I want you to imagine this righteous man who loves God, loves his fiance, has this conversation with her in which he says, Joseph, I'm pregnant, and by the way, God did it. <laughs> now, really think about this. That conversation, I'm convinced, turned into an argument. And the more they talked, the more they argued, and the more uh, Mary wept as she tried to convince him, and the more she wept, and the more she talked, the more he thought she was crazy. And Joseph is pulling his hair out at this point saying, Girl, won't you tell me the truth? Stop lying. Don't bring God into this. How dare you bring God into this? How could you blame him for such a sin? What did you do? Who did you do it with? How do I know that? Because at the end of the conversation, Joseph was determined to divorce her. Which means he was absolutely convinced that she was pregnant by somebody else. And by divorcing her, it meant he would have to walk away from the only girl he loved. He would have to walk away with a broken heart, knowing he was betrayed, his whole world being turned upside down. Well, you read a little further in the story, and we understand that an angel appears to Joseph, and he confirms Mary's story. And you might be thinking, oh, good, well, that should be a piece of cake. He sees an angel, then it's no problem. But let me remind you that Joseph still had a very difficult and costly decision to make. Not only would taking Mary and his wife mean that he would have to renounce his right to defend his reputation in the community. But by taking Mary as his wife, he was choosing to share in her shame. He was choosing to share in all the ridicule, all the abuse that she would take because it would be spread around that he was the one that actually got her pregnant. Nobody else was going to believe the story that Mary told him. Everybody was going to think what you and I always think when we see an unwed, pregnant teenager. And so Joseph's decision would mean a lot of things in his life. It would mean closing down his business. It would mean giving up his own ambitions to support God's call in Mary's life. His whole life would be committed to making sure that Mary succeeded in fulfilling the mission that God has entrusted to her. Now, in the day of egalitarianism that we live in today, where men are considered equal with women and vice versa, as we do believe, it might, we might feel like that's no big deal. But go back 2,000 years, again, in a culture where women basically had no rights compared to men, and imagine the radical decision Joseph made to say, I will put aside all of my rights, all of my ambitions, all of my family, history, business, whatever, and I will give my life to make sure that God's call in her life comes to pass. It was a great sacrifice that Joseph made, even though the angel explained to him what had happened. Only a few years later, when Jesus was, again, just a few years old, Mary and Joseph would have to flee to Egypt, some 800 kilometers from where they lived. Try to think of this for a moment. They would have to leave behind whatever friends were talking to them, whatever family they had, whatever support system they had, they would have to leave that to go live in a land all by themselves. And this is part of the price that they would have to pay their entire lives. 
Years later, we know that Mary would have to watch her son be stripped naked, beat within an inch of his life, hung on a cross like a common criminal as people laughed and spit at him. In fact, when Jesus was eight days old, the Bible tells us, his parents took him to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. And when they did that, Simon the priest, he actually prophesied over them, Simeon rather, and he said this, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And listen to this. And a sword will pierce your very soul. The price that Mary and Joseph paid was absolutely enormous. And I wonder sometimes if that's not the reason why Jesus had such compassion on those in society who were ostracized, who were marginalized, the outcasts and the sinners. Remember the story in John chapter 8? Jesus standing there minding his own business in the court, and this crowd of men dragged this woman. They say they caught in the act of adultery. They don't bring the man. They bring the woman. They throw her down at Jesus' feet, and they look at Jesus because they want to fool him. They want to trick him. They want to catch him up, and they say, the law says that we are to stone her for her sin. What do you say? And the Bible says that Jesus doesn't say anything. He just stoops down and begins to write in the dirt. Now, we don't know exactly what he wrote. Uh, some people suggest that maybe he just was stooping down to kind of collect his thoughts. He wasn't sure what he was going to say, so he just kind of, you know, took some time to gather his thoughts like we do. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. You know, I don't think that's the case. Uh, some suggest that maybe what Jesus did is he stooped down to begin to write the Ten Commandments in the, in the dirt. And as he wrote each commandment, he would look at different men in the crowd and knowing their hearts. As if to look at them and say, this is you, isn't it? This is you, isn't it? This is you, isn't it? So we don't know exactly what Jesus wrote in the dirt, but I can't help but wonder if while he was writing in the dirt, while he was defending this disgraced woman, if he wasn't thinking of his own mother. If he wasn't thinking of his own parents who served God, who loved God, but they were misunderstood, they were misjudged, they were outcast wherever they lived because the stories and the reputation would always precede them. And Jesus grew up in that atmosphere of accusation and, and marginalization. And I really believe that Jesus could identify with this woman more than anybody else could because he grew up in that. I believe he probably thought of his mother. Their whole lives they paid a great price. But you know what? And we know this well. Nobody paid the price that Jesus paid. And I know that we know that, but here's my point. In the midst of all the Christmas festivities, in the midst of all the food we'll be enjoying today, all the gifts that have been unwrapped or yet to unwrap, that we would just take a moment today to consider the cost of Christmas what it really costs God to give to us. You know, it said the average person, this obviously fluctuates, but that the average person through the Christmas season in one way or another will spend about $1,000 on various things related to Christmas. But you know, nothing compares to the cost of what Jesus paid from his birth in the cradle all the way to the cross. God had chosen to be born into a poor family, he grew up in a nation that was subjugated by an enemy nation. He was rejected by his own people. He was rejected by many in his family. And then he literally went through hell on the cross with the sin of the entire world 
upon his head. That was the cost of Christmas for Jesus. That was the cost of God's gift to you and me. I mentioned last night, maybe this morning you opened some gifts and, and you just kind of thought differently. You know, you open one gift and, and you're smiling, but inside you're thinking, well, I, I guess I can probably use this. <laughs> I can find something to do with it. You know, or maybe you opened a gift and, and you thought, what in the world were they thinking? I, I enjoy some, I used to enjoy when we had the opportunity to to have the pennies over when we were opening our Christmas gifts because I could always tell whether or not Mrs. Penny really liked the gift. If she liked the gift, she would tell you she liked the gift. But if she didn't, she would just laugh. <laughs> she would just kind of have this nervous chuckle and you kind of knew, okay, it's probably not something that she really, really can use. So we all kind of respond in different ways. But again, as I mentioned last night, every once in a while we open a gift and we're truly shocked by the thoughtfulness and the extravagance of the giver. You know, sometimes you can open a gift and, and it's like you're almost embarrassed to realize that not only is the gift so practical, so beautiful, but you realize the sacrifice this person made for the single purpose of showing their love for you. You know, one of the reasons I felt it was so important to come together this Christmas Sunday is, friends, we must never allow all the trappings of Christmas and all the joy and festivities and all the things that we do and all these things are wonderful but we must never allow all those things to push aside the one who is worthy of our full devotion because of the indescribable gift that he has given to us if I had a prayer for us this Christmas morning it would be simply this that you would be overwhelmed my prayer is that you would be in awe that the God of the universe was born in a barn. That the God of the universe grew up being shunned and misunderstood and accused of doing things that he would never imagine and dream of doing. And then to go and die on a cross to give us a gift too amazing to even comprehend. May we never lose the wonder of In Matthew chapter 1, he writes, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What did you want for Christmas this year? What was that one thing that you asked Santa Claus to bring you? And by the way, Santa Claus isn't a bad guy. He's a wonderful symbol of what Christmas is really all about as well. But what's the one thing that you wanted maybe people who were buying gifts for you to give you? Whatever it is that you may want for Christmas, I know there's one thing you need more than anything else. One thing that we all need. We need Emmanuel. Emmanuel. We need God with us. We live in a broken world that can be pretty lonely sometimes. We live in a world that can be pretty difficult to navigate sometimes through life. And we need to know that someone is with us who knows how to walk. We need to know that God is with us. And those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we know what that's like. We know that wherever we go, God is with us. As one beautiful song says, he is as close as the mention of his name. What a beautiful gift God has given to us. The knowledge that the light of the world has come and the darkness will never be the same. 
and the darkness does not have to reside in our light in our life. As I said last night, and please remember this, darkness has no power. Darkness is simply the absence of light. And wherever there's darkness in our heart, all it takes is opening our heart and say, Jesus, light of the world, would you come into my heart with your light? And he dispels darkness. He exposes those areas where darkness has you convinced it is ruling and nothing's going to change. It's always going to be the same. And it always will be the same as long as you stay in darkness. But when the light comes, the powerlessness and the deception of darkness is exposed and you're set free. And you begin to move in the light of the knowledge of his love and all that he intends for you and the reason for which he made you. I'm going to ask the musicians to join me. And as they do, can you just bow your head for a moment as we close in prayer before we finish with the last song. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. You know, the reason Jesus paid the ultimate price is because you are so deeply loved by God. He loves you so much. I know you know the story, but my question again today is, have you received the gift? Because if you haven't, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. The gift is not a present. The gift is a person, and his name is Jesus. I'd like to just pray this simple prayer. And as I pray for you this morning, if your heart's desire is to open your heart to the Lord, to know him, maybe we all know the Lord this morning. But if you're visiting and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, he endured the cost of that first Christmas in order that you might be able to enjoy the greatest gift of all. That is a relationship with the God who made you, being reconciled to him. And so I encourage you this morning, if you don't know the Lord, receive that gift afresh. And if you do know the Lord Jesus this morning, would you make room in your heart for him today? This is the day to do it. Before you move into a new year, if your heart has become cluttered, it has become full of stuff, full of things, full of worry, full of whatever it may be, just distractions. Would you say, Lord, I just invite you to come in and push all that stuff out and to realign and reprioritize my life. I receive you afresh this morning the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with him. You may be here as a Christian and you do a lot of things for the Lord, but you don't really know him. I'm going to invite you this morning to just deliberately push things aside. Say, Lord, I'm going to stop just kind of living a Christian lifestyle thinking that's enough. I want to know you. And you know whether or not you know Jesus, whether you're a Christian or not. You know whether or not you know him. That's the greatest gift he's given us and the greatest gift you can receive. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your precious people this morning, for each one here today. And we have come today to worship you, to worship you with hearts of devotion, to thank you for who you are and for what you have given to us. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we leave this place, may we walk into this week and into the new year worthy of the gift you have given to us. Lord, if need be, may we even open that gift afresh. Like a child who goes into the toy box and discovers a toy they haven't played with for years and that love for is rekindled again. Lord, I pray, may we return to you and you restore to us the joy of our salvation, so great a gift. We give ourselves to you in gratitude this morning for such great love. And so, Lord, we just pray this morning, wherever any of us may be in our spiritual walk with you, may there be an open heart to receive you in a fresh new way to bring us into the new place that you have for us this new year. In Jesus' name.